0: Two swing Deep
1: left. Hey, everybody, welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. We got a great jam packed show for you today. We're talking top 100 prospects with Josh Norris. And we're speaking with Nate Murray, Blue Jays area scout, who is the signing scout of Lane Thomas, made his debut with the Cardinals last week and hit a home run in his first Major League at Bat, continuing our series of bringing on signing scouts for players who make their Major League debuts. But before we get to that, Josh Norris is here joining us. We just released an update for the Top 100 Prospects for May. A lot of players moving up, a lot of players moving in. Josh in compiling this update, what for you stood out, and and what would you say was the overall theme or or sense of this first update? I don't know if there was a
2: theme for anything, but I mean there are certain guys that have uh, reinforced what we believe about them. Um, specifically, a guy like Mackenzie Gore. Um, you know, I, I got to see him in spring for the first time ever, and he was you know nasty as all get out, and I I frankly think he's you know top two prospects as far as pitchers go in the in the minor leagues and we have him you know uh, in in that mix we have him at number 14 which is a, a big rise from where he had been
1: 14 overall not 14 among
2: pitchers no no 14 overall that's correct uh but you know he's he's shown that he's at least for now past the blister issues that you know obviously was a relatively minor issue that hampered him a little bit last year um, and he's showing the same nasty four-pitch mix that we knew he could, and he's you know ascending up the list with guys like Casey Mize
1: and Jesus Lazardo and uh, Forrest Whitley. Yeah, it was impressive watching Gore. I went out and saw his first start of the year with Lake Elsinore, and uh, he even talked about you know, it was a day he didn't feel like he had his command, and he still made every adjustment he needed to. Fastball, curveball, changeup, all working. Slider was able to get that working, too, and... It's so one of those pitchers that, look, he's got big stuff, he's got athleticism, which you want to see, but he's also got the makeup to make any and all adjustments he needs to make and to fight through. You know, Every pitcher has a day where just, for whatever reason, the ball isn't coming out of their hand the way they want or their control's a little off. And what separates some of the guys is those who can kind of fight through it and battle through it. And Mackenzie Gore has shown he has that between the blister issues last year and just already uh, this year. You see how special he can be. And... There's a big reason why he is back up in the top 15 prospects in all of baseball.
2: I was gonna say, speaking of guys who uh, claim they didn't have their best command, Casey Mize went to double-A through a no-hitter, a Maddox in uh, in fact, um, and then after after the game said he had his worst fastball command in some time. Which, if he's being truthful and not just being uh, modest, um, should scare the Eastern League for however long he's there. And then the international league and possibly the major leagues uh, this is the number one overall pick in the le- draft last year who some scouts this year have tabbed as having a either 70 or 80 grade split finger fastball already um, and he's allowed something like seven hits in his last like two or three starts it's kind of obscene uh, he tore up the florida state league he obviously uh, can't do a whole lot better than he did in the first game of the double-a but he made a large jump in uh this edition of the top 100 and i think that's not even necessarily reactionary so much as it is just kind of we are finally seeing um in pro ball that he can do what he did in in college you know he he hadn't thrown a too much in uh pro experience before this year um and then this year he comes out gangbusters and we move him
1: to the appropriate spot A a number of guys you hit on that theme of guys who you know there's a lot of talent there's just a question surrounding them that is enough that evaluators sort of hesitate to throw a supreme player type of ceiling on them. And two guys we saw that happen with were Chris Paddock and Pete Alonzo. Alonzo, the concern was, you know, he's a great fastball hitter, When you start seeing better quality stuff, is he gonna be able to adjust? Then there were defensive questions. Paddock, just because it's been so rare for someone who throws a a a right-hander, throws a breaking ball 10% or less of the time to have success, you had a lot of evaluators. As much as his numbers were fantastic, saying I really think it's a number three type ceiling. Both Alonzo and Paddock have answered some of those questions. Now again, it's one month of the major leagues. Like every young player, there's going to be an adjustment period and and they're gonna have to make a counter adjustment at some point. But the talent is there, and each of these guys have kind of answered some of the questions that evaluators had on them coming into the year, where evaluators didn't say they can't do it. It's just there wasn't a whole lot of conviction they could or would. Now they're showing they can. They've had 20 spot rises as well, and it's one of those things we talk about. When we put together a top 100, it's not ceiling rankings. It's not greatest potential. That's a part of it, but a part of it is also, okay, the level of, con- the level of risk that they get there. And then also trying to reflect industry consensus on the level of conviction that all the you know positive outcomes will take place. And sometimes there are some players where that conviction, in the cases of guys like Mackenzie Gore, you'll talk to people who are convicted on him in A-ball. There's other guys, like using Paddock and Alonzo as our examples, you have people who like them, but the conviction still wasn't there even through the upper minors, and it's really starting to solidify now. So it happens at different times, and I think in the case of Paddock and Alonso, we've seen yes, the talent is there for them to not only be quality everyday big leaguers, but stand out impactful everyday major leaguers. And and that level of conviction is growing, and we reflected that with their rises in the top 100.
2: Yeah, and I still think, you know, a month is... um, It's still a small sample size. Very small. There's still, and in in Paddock's case, even smaller than Alonzo's just because of every five days. Um, But, you know, I, I still think... Uh, number three ceiling is appropriate for Chris Paddock. Um, that's that's I, I don't know why that's necessarily uh, viewed in some circles as a pejorative. Sometimes I feel like there's some circles of fandom where anything below ace or all star is uh, is bad. It's, we do have
1: an all star grade on him in the handbook. and right, number and threes I'm, are all stars. No, no, that's fine.
2: That's, that's that's number three is a really really good outcome. Um, and Pete Alonso, you know, he's been as good a hitter uh, as the Mets have had in their system since the day he got there. He's he's had a little bit of struggles here and there, but he turned it on at some point at St. Lucie and really never turned it back off. And uh, it's really sad that he's not the most famous Gator in their system right now. That would be Mr. Timothy Tebow. But um, he's I'm glad to see what he's doing in the big leagues. Obviously punishing fastballs and you know obviously being um, a nice injection into that lineup that can hit a ball out of just about any park in the country. And Paddock is incredible to watch too. I mean, you talk about a guy who may not have the quality breaking ball that is, you know, befitting a true ace, but a seven changeup or maybe an eight changeup, depending on how you want to grade it, uh, is a really, it, it, it's a separator. He can continue to do
1: that with both those pitches if the breaking ball is at least serviceable, and it is. Right, we're seeing he can just drop it in for an early count strike and then using fastball changeup. up. There's a lot of late swings on the fastball, not just because it's 94-95, but because the differential, the way his pitches move, it's very, very difficult to uh, figure out what's coming out of his hand, and you see a lot of ugly swings off of him. Another guy who rose pretty high in our most recent update was Carter Keboom with the Nationals. Already a top 50 prospect in baseball coming into the season. I went out and saw him in spring training, and it was really impressive watching how he was handling himself among big leaguers. Then talking to scouts throughout spring training, there was a growing level of conviction, hey, there's something here that's going to be a separator for this guy. Now we saw him come up, get the call to the major leagues after very little AAA time, and he's got a chance to be an impact player for the Nationals sooner rather than later. Again, still a very young kid, 2016 draft pick, but very quickly he's shown both the skills and the makeup too again, be an everyday player and really an an above average, or maybe even better than above-average everyday player for a team with playoff dreams.
2: Sure, and we know uh, from past seasons that the Nationals have not been afraid to pull the trigger on their best prospects uh, if and when the need arises. See Soto, Juan, and Robles, Victor, um, who came up and have had immediate impacts. I'm a big believer in... The organization will tell you what they think of a ball player by how quickly they promote him. Now there's some obvious cases uh, where it's an org player that moves back and forth from level to level because of need. But the Nats have not shown uh, any shyness when it comes to moving him quickly. Um, and that should tell you the kind of talent they believe he has. If they didn't believe he was the right person for the job at that point, they would have you know, put in... Uh, Joe Veteran down at AAA, I don't know quite who that would be at Syri- uh Fresno, but uh, Keeboom uh, obviously impressed them enough um, to get the call and has rewarded their faith with uh, quite a, a start there in the big leagues. You know, it's, it was impressive to see in the fall league last year. The swing is short, it's quick, it's through the zone, which is pretty much
1: you know, chapter and verse of what you want for an impact hitter. Griffin Canning, similarly, did really, really well in Triple-A, got the call-up. He's also moved up 20-plus spots in our rankings. Someone else who was a big mover was Nolan Gorman. This is a player that, from the moment he signed his first professional contract and went out to the Appalachian League, was doing things at almost video game-esque levels. He's 18 years old. He was the first player ever drafted born in the 2000s. He was very, very young for his draft class. Again, still 18 when some members of his draft class who were high school picks are are pushing 20. I wrote about this uh, at the behest of of our editor, JJ Cooper, just looking at who else has had a start to their career as fast as Nolan Gorman, and I didn't know the answer. I went in completely open-minded saying, hey, maybe this is common and it doesn't tell us anything, or maybe this is rare and it really tells us something. And you can check the article out on BA.com. But just what he's done already in terms of the debut he had and then what he did the April of his first full season in the Midwest League. Now, the Midwest League is freezing. A lot of great prospects get frozen out and do not perform in it that first April. And in this case, this year, it is flooded. The company he's in with what he's done is extremely limited and it is very, very elite. I encourage you to check out baseballamerica.com for for what exactly that company is. I mean, if I may interject
2: here, it's pretty easy to say that gorman based on what he's done last year and this year has the early hallmarks of a star and possibly more than that um also i will say in the midwest league um you've got some guys who are nipping at his heels as well uh mr jordan Groshans with lansing is destroying the baseball uh Wander franco the god is crushing in bowling green uh, about the only thing he can't do right is apply the correct amount of icy hot Uh, check the internet for that story. But um, it's an absolutely swollen, loaded Midwest League right now. Uh, JJ and I were talking about that all-star game this year in South Bend, and if all three of those guys are there, that's, you know, get your tickets now. South Bend, uh, June 18th, Jordan Groshans, Wander Franco, Nolan Gorman, that's gonna be some hot, hot action in the Midwest League. (laughs) I'm probably missing some guys
1: mentioned Gorman being a big riser. Really, there's always a group of guys who are going to come up. Dustin May, Rose big time. Nico Horner, Rose big time. Two guys who are having success in the upper levels. In May's case, at a young age, Horner's case, went straight to A his first full season and is performing there. there. There are a lot of players who, again, it's about okay proving it at higher levels. And as much as we talk about talent and ceiling and potential, track record and performance is a big part of what teams look at both when they're looking at drafting and signing a guy and promoting a guy and ultimately deciding yes this is one of our top prospects and it's also something that we put a lot of stock in and when it comes to top 100 rankings as a result
2: I'll make a call back here to what I said a few minutes ago I'm a big believer in teams telling you how good they think a prospect is and by the Cubs putting Nico Horner at double-A to begin his first full professional season after he scorched, cooked, flambéed, fricasseed the Arizona Fall League. Um, that should tell you something. The Cubs have a pretty good track record recently with hitters, and they got him at the back of the first round, and he's done nothing but um, uh, impress. They've, he, they've moved him on a similar track to the way they moved Chris Bryant uh, a couple years ago, so that, that should kind of tell you something. And He's holding his own, I believe, in, uh, in A right now. I think he might be hurt, but... Uh, last I checked, he was hitting near 300 with on-base and power numbers. So, you know, they they may have
1: found another one in Nico Horner. I wrote about this when we do our uh, "If Every Lineup Was Homegrown" series. You mentioned the Cubs having a lot of success developing impact hitters, specifically infielders. It's a very, very long line of infielders they've drafted, developed, and homegrown that have gone on to become All-Star caliber big leaguers. So again, not you mentioned Chris Bryant. Obviously, Nico Horner is is not. Bryant, But he's very, very, very good, and we're seeing very clearly the Cubs might have themselves a steal at the back of the first round. Uh, I mentioned Dustin May. The Dodgers have moved him aggressively for a high school right-hander. He's been really, really strong. I think one of the things that's important to point out is when you have a large number of guys jumping up, and it's particularly guys who are performing in the upper levels, taking that promise and turning it into production and showing it plays against upper-level, long-time older competition, they're going to jump up. There's a difference between guys in their top 100 update who drop and guys who just get pushed down a little bit because other guys have jumped up. Yes. So I want to look at, you know, Justice Sheffield and Euseneal Diaz were two guys who did legitimately drop in our rankings. Uh, Sheffield is someone when we were talking to organizations around baseball before the season, he was a pretty common name of someone they again, nice prospect but not someone who a lot of teams felt was really in that top 25 range. Uh, he has had some control issues so far this year. He has dropped back down to reflect a lot of the concerns teams had, have started to kind of show themselves a little bit. you uh, El-Diaz as well, uh, since moving from the Dodgers to the Orioles, it's been a lot of struggles. He's back at AA, you talk about organizations telling you what they think of a guy after a full season in AA going back there. So those are, those are moves down, but that, those are different, and we'll get to some of these other guys in a second who just got bumped down because other guys bumped up It didn't necessarily drop. I want to hit on some of these other guys who are really young, they're still really good. Vidal Brujan, Luis Patino, Jared Kellenick. These are all really, really good prospects who you can look at and say, oh, they've dropped from the last their preseason ranking to where they are now, you know, whether it's two spots, three spots, four, five spots none of them have done anything where the stock has dropped. And this thing I really want to drive home. We've gotten a lot of questions on social media about it. These are all great prospects who are going to have very, very bright futures ahead of them. This is more just what we've talked about, guys who are in double A, making the jump to double A, making the jump to triple A, making the jump to the majors, who similarly had extraordinarily, extraordinarily high ceilings, have answered the questions that might have been present about them just because they've had more time and are performing at the upper levels. And so those guys will get jumped. Or in the case of Nolan Gorman, where it's the same level, but what he's done is truly historic. And again, so it, it, it's something where none of these guys that quote unquote dropped, you know, two spots, three spots, four spots, five spots, were dropped because they're doing something wrong or their ceiling is perceived to have been lowered. It's just a function of there's a lot of really good players in minor league baseball right now. Some of them are rising in, in part for the reasons I stated, and by default, that pushes some of the guys below them back a few spots, even though those guys have done nothing wrong. And no, no one's a prospect in a vacuum when we're talking about top 100 rankings. You're subject to everything happening around you, and that's just kind of what this case is.
2: Yeah, it's, it's pull mechanics. And put another way, if we lined up everybody in this office by height, um, we'd have one person who's the tallest but if we got some of the guys from our neighbor uh, building the the Canon building in here uh, the tallest guy would not be the tallest guy anymore he wouldn't have become less tall he'd just be l- shorter than the very very tall man who works over at cannon if there, there's a kind of a roundabout way of explaining what happened there the the red arrow doesn't necessarily mean you've done anything wrong it just means that maybe somebody jumped you and you moved down but you can't have three guys at 30.
1: A couple of guys who jumped into the rankings for the first time, uh, a lot of arms, Spencer Howard, right-handed pitcher with the Phillies, Ryan Weathers, left-hander with the Padres. He was their first-round pick a year ago. Those were two of the, the bigger names to jump in. You've seen a lot of Spencer Howard and mm-hmm. have seen him kind of turn things around starting midway through last year. What, for you, in your discussions with evaluators and, and your own looks, kind of has elevated him into that top 100 prospect category. Well, first of all, he's been nothing
2: short of dominant this year, and I hope he's okay because I think they skipped his start uh, with Clearwater this time out. Um, but he is the guy who came from Cal Poly who'd kind of split between starting and relieving, uh, more starting toward the end of his tenure, and now he's starting full-time, has a full four-pitch complement, uh, fastball that's in the mid to upper 90s, and three off-speed pitches that can all flash you plus or maybe a little better in some, in some cases uh, now and then. He needs a little bit more consistency with all of them. Um, he needs to, you know, to keep that from start to start. But you know, when you watch him live, he was part of a rotation last year in Lakewood that included four guys who had sub two ERAs and then him. And Will Stewart was very good. He's obviously a trade piece for the Marlins for Real Muto. But you looked at uh, Howard's stuff and how dynamic it was, and then you looked at his numbers, and they did not match up. And It probably was a little bit of fastball command, a little bit of consistency with the stuff, but you could see that there's a guy who has the making of a mid-rotation, if not maybe a two-starter, um, kind of growing there, and that's kind of what he's grown into uh, with Clearwater this year. Uh, he, he's, he's gotten great reviews from scouts. It's a guy that
1: he's, he's very quickly climbing up the ladder of Philly's prospects. Ryan Weathers, the lefty who was Padres' first-round pick last year, uh, moved very, very quickly, was pitching in the low Class A Midwest League three months after his high school graduation. Again, an organization will tell you what they think about a guy, looking at where they're assigned. It, really, it was two months even. He's back at Fort Wayne this year. We've seen a little bit of tick up and stuff. 92-93, uh, he touched 95 in one of his more recent outings for the first time in pro ball. He had shown a little bit of that in high school, but um, really seeing that velocity tick up combined with the field of pitch another guy who's who already projected to move quickly, but seeing the level of dominance he's attained while, again, being the same age as a lot of his peers, and he's just so far advanced, that's gonna jump him up. Grayson Rodriguez, another pitcher, was the Orioles first rounder last year, big fastball. Fits all the stereotypes of the, the big, hard-throwing Texas right-hander, and he's doing it, he's performing. Uh, and We've also seen some guys kind of make reappearances. Michael Chavis, who was a top 100 guy at one point, had fallen off after his PED suspension, Uh, Just what he's done in context compared to some of the other guys, maybe the back of the list that dropped off. His performance has justified him getting onto the back of the list. And and especially once we get back to this 90 to 100 range, it's important to note as well, when we build out our our preseason top 100 list, we go down to 150, 160, even more sometimes. And JJ has talked about this on podcasts before. I know I've talked about it. I know you've talked about it. The gap between numbers 1 and 20 is a lot larger than the gap between numbers 90 and 120.
2: No, for, for example, when we talk, I think the longest parts of our meetings are from 80 to 100, and it involves a lot of talking, discussing, yelling, fist-banging, um, and then usually a round of votes that seems to uh, belongs on C-SPAN at some point for its intensity and obviously importance. Um, but it, it's those kind of kind of uh, slicing and dicing those 30 guys for 20 spots or so is not an easy task. It, there's, it's very, very fungible. There are cases to be made for guys who are in the 100 to 110 who you could easily make a case
1: to be in the 90 to 100. And that's why you'll see a lot of new guys move in. Again, Colton Walker moved in. We mentioned Chavis had previously been a 100 guy, Grayson Rodriguez. Uh, moved in as well. Davey Garcia who uh, has pitched well for the Yankees up to double-A as a 19 year old. All these were players who were on the radar with graduations, with you know, really good performances. And especially in the case, Walker's a good example of okay, there's a question here that's keeping him off the hundred. For him it was growing into power and we see a lot of guys who make a lot of contact when they're young. They grow into power later. There are some questions with the way his swing worked. Okay, is he going to? He went up to double A Hartford, where he's not playing in Lancaster or Asheville anymore. There's, you know, plays very fair to left field at least. He's a right-handed hitter, and he's showing you power. And that's where, that's a classic example of, okay, there's a question keeping him off the 100 now that evaluators have. It's not just us sitting in a room coming up with these questions. It's talking to scouts, talking to pro scouting directors, talking to general managers, where they see the industry, how they see the prospects in the industry. And once a question gets answered, it's okay. That was my question, now he's worthy. Just an example, one of many of examples of times something like that will happen. For example, with Colton Welker, you and I had this discussion
2: yesterday, but we had two scouts talk about Colton Welker. One put a very big number on Colton, another put a very low number on him. Both for the same reason. The guy who put the big number on him liked his swing. The guy who put the low number did not think the swing would work. So that is how uh, volatile, We're talking about sometimes when when
1: discussing players, it, it's... especially in the eighty to hundred range.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a guy like Debbie Garcia. Um, he yesterday made his well, not not his double A debut, but his double uh, A a premiere for twenty nineteen. He struck out eleven in four innings and allowed uh, five. I think it was four or five walks and a, it was a grand slam too. And then you talk to scouts who have seen him this year and it never quite gets to that level of this is a two, this is a one, this is a, a three. Um, it's always, there's something there that there's, they're, they're cautious about. Uh, for example, his, his curveball is his signature pitch. Yesterday, from what I hear, there were nine strikeouts on fastballs and two on changeups, none on the curveball. He was also facing one of the worst lineups in the history of man in the New, New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Uh, and he tore them apart with a fastball primarily. There's still gonna be questions about him going forth uh, as they pertain to durability, he's not a big boy, um, and simply quality of stuff. So for a guy who strikes out about 14 per nine innings for his career, the reviews are good, but not off
1: the charts like you'd expect. Drew Waters is someone else who's put up really good numbers, 20 on AA, draft pedigree looks great on paper, Uh, The early reviews we've received from evaluators are a lot more mixed than the numbers would leave you to believe, even in the context of his age going up to Double A A lot of concern with the swing length. And this is not to pick apart David Garcia and Drew Waters. Clearly, these are very, very talented players, among the best of prospects in baseball. Thus, they're in our top 100. This is just to illustrate that a lot of the guys, particularly at the back of the list, it's a lot of, this is good, but... And answering that but goes a huge way, is a huge part of someone going into that upper tier, that top 50 prospect tier, that top 30 prospect tier, and where that level of conviction falls. Again, no one has doubted Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s ability to hit since he was in the Appy League. I had a high level uh, scout in an organization with a really good track record say he thought Vladimir Guerrero Jr. was the best hitter in the entire minor leagues when he was in rookie ball. No, i had you, a
2: scout call him and acuna harper and trout 2.0 so
1: so again and again not to say that everyone's always, but but it's just to illustrate again there's different levels of conviction on guys at different points in time and that is a big part of, of these top 100 rankings and, and how they're compiled and also when it comes to these middle of the year updates why you'll see t- guys rise a lot of times it's the question has been answered
2: and to kind of take this in a little bit of a different direction, I got a question this week in Hot Sheet Chat about how much we are going to have to take into effect or account or the baseballs in AAA. And I think it's valid. I go back and forth, and I've talked to scouts about this. How the heck do you judge power anymore from AA down to you know the look, rookie balls knowing that they're going to get to AAA and they're going to be playing with titleists? Um, They're going to be, you know, being able to golf balls out of the park. For context, I looked it up last night. Um, The El Paso Chihuahuas this year have hit 66 home runs. That ties them with the Beloit Snappers for the most home runs that they hit all last year and has them more than six full-season clubs hit all of last year and more than all but, I want to say, 20 uh, short-season rookie or complex-level teams hit all of last year. If they double that, if they hit 65 home runs in uh, May, they're going to eclipse all but, I want to say, 10 full season clubs from last year. That is what we're dealing with. And on the East Coast, it's going to start happening because it's been cold on the East Coast, especially the Northeast. Once it warms up there, you're going to see that effect in the IL too. So you're going to see guys who don't typically have big time power start putting up big time numbers. We had six guys, or three guys last hot sheet period, not really weak. alone, who hit six home runs in a week. Two of those guys didn't make hot sheet because of varying prospect status, and frankly, we realized it's the baseballs. So it's going to be tough down the line to put a, a firm power grade on someone, knowing that you
1: can take a guy who has one power grade, put him in AAA, and add 10 home runs. And we're still talking to evaluators about how they're adjusting. And, and because it's still so new, we're a month into this, they're still adjusting. There's not a firm answer yet, and that'll be one of the intriguing storylines story of the 2019 minor league season. Josh, before we let you go, any final thoughts on this first uh, May uh, update of the 2019 BA Top 100 prospects? Um,
2: I think uh, Gore is, is the number two pitching prospect in the country, as I, as I mentioned. Um, I'm excited to see some of the other guys come up when uh, the other guys um join the list when we're gonna have about a slew of graduations here pretty shortly uh vlad will graduate in short not a short order but you know, soon enough he might he might get there before the june update uh peter Alonso, carter keyboom could get there fernando
1: tatis could get there tatis and jimenez are K- on Kucci. injured list right now but they'll be back they will graduate at some point yeah hopefully relatively yeah. soon because that would mean their injuries aren't taking yeah, yeah, them down yeah too long
2: so we're gonna have you know we've got uh, a list of six or ten guys who uh, could join soon, and you know, stay tuned to BA.com to
1: figure out who they are. Absolutely. All right, well Josh, thanks so much for joining me to uh, talk Top 100, and uh, we've got an exciting uh, exciting May ahead. We're only just getting started. Yep. All right, well Josh, thanks again for joining us to uh, talk about the Top 100 Prospects update for May. I want to move now into our interview segment with Nate Murray, Blue Jays area scout for Kentucky and Tennessee. Nate had previously signed Daniel Norris. He uh, recently signed Lane Thomas as his newest major leaguer. Thomas, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, made his debut with the St. Louis Cardinals earlier this month, had a home run in his first major league at bat. A really interesting backstory in terms of uh, his father's athletic bloodlines and how that helped Lane uh, become the player he's become. We're gonna get into that. We're happy to be joined now by Nate out on the scouting trail as he prepares for the 2019 draft. Kind enough to take some time to join us. Nate, I want to go back a few years. The first time you saw Lane Thomas, what stood out about him to you, and, and eventually what was the process where you became convinced that he was someone you guys wanted to draft and sign?
0: Yeah, I um, uh, started uh, noticing Lane when he was a junior. Uh, going into his junior year, uh, he played for the, the Royal Scout team, uh, watched him through the summer and, uh, and then the fall with a uh, you know, wood bat and also playing against a, a higher level of competition. Uh, just noticed, you know, he's you know, as, as a younger kid, being able to, to uh, handle the pitching uh, against the older, the older, better arms. And, uh, but then, you know, with the process uh, the summer before his senior year uh, at Tournament of Stars, uh, Lane was there and, and really showed an advanced field with the bat, uh, the ability to use all fields, uh, being able to, to hit a plus fastball, being able to, to lay off breaking balls or stay on breaking balls and use the whole field. Uh, so just that advance, uh, the advanced uh, ability to use the bat and use the barrel and, uh, and show the ability to, to hit at that level. Uh, really, you know, uh, really you know, noticed that with the Blue Jays that, that this is the guy that we need to stay on throughout the rest of the summer, uh, fall, and then into a spring of his senior year.
1: You mentioned the offense. It's interesting because now Lane is mostly known for his defense, his ability to play center field, uh, kind of a Harrison Bader light. Now he's with the Cardinals. That's sort of the uh, comparison that he's drawn. Defensively, what did you see? Was he a guy that was more about the bat and the defense grew, or did you see the defensive tools immediately as well?
0: Yeah, that's, uh, that's a good question. It's, uh, with Lane, it was uh, you know the, the eyes went right to the bat uh, right away in the summer with using the wood bat. Uh, but also, as you watched them uh, more and more, you, you notice the other the other tools that Lane had, and that's uh, you know, he, he was a plus runner. The guy could absolutely fly out in center field. He had range, uh, and he had a plus arm. Uh, so you, you're able to just you know focus on you know the offense at first, and the and the ability that he had with the bat. But then you know you start recognizing the other tools that he, he showed in the in the summer circuit, um, and then you know with 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 knowing Lane the year before as a junior. Uh, you know, he played shortstop in high school as well. And so uh, when we worked him out throughout the fall and then into the into the spring, uh, he would always take ground balls as well at shortstop. So uh, our mindset was, we, you know, we knew he could play center field. You know, we, we watched that in the summer. We watched it in the, in the spring. Uh, but also his ability that we thought maybe he could play second base. And so uh, with the Blue Jays, after we signed him, uh, we did move uh, Lane into the infield and tried him out at second base, and uh, and let our our, uh, our infield coordinators be able to work with him, and because uh, he was such a good athlete, and he had such good feet, and uh, and had a really accurate arm that we thought maybe that he could move into the dirt. But uh, as we can see now, that you know Lane's really taken over in center field, and he's a you know what looks to be a plus defender out there.
1: You mentioned that athleticism. He is the son of a uh, professional drag racer. It's, it's a different kind <laughs> of, uh, we don't generally think of that as necessarily pure athleticism, but uh, how much did you kind of sense that, okay, he's got this competitive mentality, there's a little bit of bloodlines there within the athletic world, how much did that kind of play into your decision to, to ultimately draft him?
0: Yeah, and like you said, it goes right into the the competitiveness. You know, I'm sure Lane watching his dad uh, go out and compete every weekend out in the, uh, the drag racing, and uh, being in that the professional lifestyle of a sport that uh, he was out watching the best of the best go out and drag race and compete uh, on the road. That um, that Lane goes, you know, it probably went right into that professional atmosphere that he wanted to be a part of something like that. And uh, but yes, definitely that went into uh, his competitive nature and. Uh, his ability to go out and
1: try to compete one-on-one. Absolutely. You mentioned you saw him his junior year. You saw him at Tournament of the Stars. You saw him take ground balls at Shorts up, You saw the speed in center field. You saw the bat. The other thing he did was he played for USA Baseball's 18-under national team. He was part of a gold mm-hmm. medal winning team. How much do you put into the stock of you know, being in international competition? Because domestic competition is obviously incredibly strong. He was on the showcase circuit. You mentioned the Royal Scout team. Uh, but going out abroad and, and winning on an international scale, how much does that play into you know, the decision about whether or not you ultimately are going to pick this guy and maybe how high he should be on your, on your list?
0: Yeah, I think it's uh, it really goes into you know like we said with the Tournament of Stars and then you know making the U.S. national team, the, the junior national team. That um, that lane, you know, it was competing against a lot of really good talent uh, here uh, in the United States to to win one of those starting jobs to, to go compete abroad. And uh, so yeah, it was going through that, you know, Lane's gone, you know, went through something with going overseas to play. Uh, his, his, uh, you know, being able to go out and compete against uh, competition throughout the world, and as well as uh, getting away from your comfort level of being in the United States, of getting out of the country and going out and playing and playing the sport that you love, uh, really shows that his dedication to the sport and his love of the sport uh, to go out and compete and play at the highest level.
1: Absolutely. So all this happened the summer before his senior year. You'd already like the bat, you'd like the tools, you you'd seen the tournament of stars, you'd seen USA baseball's eighteen our national team. What was the biggest thing he needed to show you that senior year to fully, you know, get you convicted of, okay, this is someone we, we want to draft, we want to give a signing bonus and, and not only draft but draft high. He was a fifth round pick and, and received a three, right. you know, three quarters of a million dollars. It's a significant investment.
0: Right. Yeah, that, and that's something that, you know, I think throughout the summer circuit and, and, and watching these 17-, uh, 18-year-old you know, players uh, go out and compete at that level and, and, and having a comfort level with their tool package of what they can bring, uh, my mindset is always, okay, now going into uh, what's the makeup of, of the player because uh, we see the raw tools that they have, the ability to play the game. Um, so with Lane, it was just being around him and knowing his makeup, and, and doing the research with going through people at, at Beard in high school, going through the the guys with the USA national team, going through all the different avenues of trying to find what makes Lane Thomas click, and uh, and then also just getting to know uh, Lane and his family and his coaches and uh, at, at the high school level. So uh, it, it's really starting to figure out the makeup and uh, the competitiveness and what makes uh, Lane Thomas click as a baseball player and and on the field and off the field. And, and that's something that, that right away, any, anybody that spends time with Lane, uh, you're just naturally drawn to him that, you know, this guy's a great kid to be around the type of guy that you would want your kids or your, uh, family members to hang around with. Uh, great guy off the field. He works extremely hard. Uh, whenever I needed him to go out and, and, and work out or, or hit in the cages or do anything, Lane was already at the baseball field working out. So knowing his drive, uh, knowing what you know the makeup of of Lane, knowing that the kid, and then being around him and his his dad, that uh, you know it's just it's great. You feel very comfortable with putting your name on him and and telling the Blue Jays that hey, this is a guy that we need in our organization. Not just because of the tools that he has, but also uh, the makeup of Lane and and his competitiveness and uh, the work ethic that he had. Um that you know it was it was for me it was a, a very easy uh, decision to give him the money that he was that he would ask for to to sign him away from going to the University of Tennessee.
1: The makeup checked out, the tools checked out, the resume checked out. Take us inside the draft room. Uh, the blue jays uh, day one of that draft had picked up Jeff Hoffman in the first round, Max Pentecost in the first round, Sean Reed Foley in the second round. there were some some high profile picks. Second day starts, they take Nick Wells, the lefty, out of Virginia, Matt Morgan, catcher out of Alabama, fifth round comes around, was it you had to bang the table and convince everyone, or at that point was it, hey, the entire organization was bought in on this guy?
0: Yes, yeah, that was, um, you know, we usually do our uh, our area scout meetings uh, early uh, in May, and so Uh, So I I had already gone through the the pre-draft meetings and and the the bang the table and fight hard for for getting Lane and let everybody in the uh, organization know how much I felt uh, as the area scout of of what I believed in in Lane. Uh, But then there was also guys in the room, uh, you know, my regional cross-checker, Rob St. Julian, uh, you know, fought hard for him. We had national cross-checker Mike Mankin uh, also fought for him. And then Chuck Lamar, assistant GM. We're all guys that fought hard for you know decided you know that sided on, on with me as the area scout that this kid's great makeup, his work ethic, uh, his drive. So uh, so I, I was not in the draft room uh, during the draft, but you know I, I received a phone call that morning of the second day of the draft saying Lane's in a great spot. Um, you know he, you know where he lines up on the board and then. Uh, that hey you know just stay on the signability stay on if Lane wanted to play professional baseball or if he has already decided to go uh, to the University of Tennessee and and so just checking back in with Lane and uh, and his family and and deciding hey are you still willing to play professional baseball and Lane uh, was all about starting his professional career and he loved uh, you know he he was he was all excited about about starting his his professional career so um, so Lane said yes I'm willing to sign and. So and then passing that along to my guys, just saying, hey, Lane is willing to sign right. You know, he's wanting to go out right now. Uh, We need to to jump up and take him. And we knew there were several other teams that were willing to take Lane as well in those same spots. So um, so I was I was waiting for us to take him. You know, from anywhere that third to fifth round. That uh, you know I was texting, calling our our draft room, saying, hey, we need to take this guy. Uh, Somebody else might take him. And uh, sure enough, we got the deal done and. And uh, and and we uh, we got Lane down to Florida, down to Dunedin, uh, ready to play. So,
1: what's that feeling like when a guy you truly believe in? Again, you mentioned you love the skills, you love the makeup, and who he was as a person. What's that feeling like when a guy that you really truly believe in does get to be a part of your organization and you get to put your name on him?
0: Oh, it's a great feeling. Uh, and not not only you know that you know that all the hard work and the dedication that you put in for. You know, two, three, four years on on players uh, to be able to take that guy and and uh, and you just feel like that all your hard work that you put in uh, has gone into to bringing in a, a valued uh, member into our organization and uh, and Lane, uh, you know, just being able to call him and then and then going down and meeting with him and his dad and his sister uh, to sign him it's just a great feeling and uh, and watching his face when he signs on the dotted line and. Um, you know, it's the same feeling that I got when, you know, when I, when I heard that he got called up when, uh, when Lane let me know that he got called up as well as, um, as well as when when he got his first at bat and he hits a home run, you know, just that, that feeling of, wow, you know, all that time that I spent away from my family, all the, the long nights and, uh, all the hard work that area scouts put in, it, it all goes into that, that great feeling of, of seeing him succeed and seeing that, you know, that, um, uh, that, you know, lights up a room smile that, that Lane has you know it just it makes you feel really good for the kid for his family and then also uh, just you know being able to put all that hard work in and seeing it pay off.
1: Yeah you mentioned that moment Lane came up uh, he got into his first major league game on April 17th as a defensive replacement first at bat came on April 19th as a pinch hitter comes in and hits a home run in his first major league at bat obviously like I said, you're thrilled for him to be there but seeing that, I mean, I, have, I would have to imagine that's almost a uh, pump your fist, you know, let out an exclamation moment.
0: Oh yes, definitely. It was uh, it was great. I, I, I very rarely do uh, the area scouts be able to actually watch uh, a game on their on their. Uh, I was watching it on my phone, and uh, so I, I, I got home uh, pretty much an inning before Lane got uh, got up to the plate, and so uh, so I was actually I was putting my my I have, I have twin boys there, three years old, and so I was putting them down to sleep. Uh, Way too late for them, but I was putting them down to sleep, and and so I went in and checked my phone real quick and saw that Lane was coming up, and uh, and just that that adrenaline rush, um, I'm sure it's not even close to anything that Lane was was going through, but that adrenaline rush of, of watching him get in that at bat, and uh, and so I, I was sitting there watching, I'm like, oh man, I, I, you know, I was watching the pitcher throw a couple, you know, a, a hitter before that, I'm like, Lane's this guy's, you know, this guy's Lane's gonna get a chance on this guy, and. Uh, sure enough, he's—you know—I think it looked like a slider away, uh, and he stayed on it and drove it. And I, uh, you know, I was—I was yelling, "Get up, get up, get up!" and uh, trying to get it out of the ballpark for him. And um, and, and when it hit off the wall, it, it you know—the way that the camera zoomed in, I thought it was a home run. But I'm like, hey, at least Lane's showing off all of his tools right now. He's—he's he's either showing off power, and he's—he's he's also going to show off his speed hitting uh, get into a triple. And so. Uh, but yeah, it was it was it was a great feeling watching that, and uh, and uh, and and then seeing you know seeing that that moment for him with with watching his uh, his face on on TV on, on the camera that you know that big smile that he had and his teammates celebrating with him it was uh, just a great feeling for for Lane. I, I was pumped for him.
1: And part of what made that moment too, I think, so poignant was it's not like he had had an easy path out the minors where it was quick and linear and direct. He had really. Overcome a lot. Uh, you mentioned when you guys drafted him, you drafted him as an outfielder. He played some third base for you guys in the GCL and the Appy League. The next year, he was actually a primary second baseman. Then he moved back to the outfield. It was it was a lot of bouncing around, figuring out where he fit. Then on top of that, a couple of injuries happened. Uh, as mentioned, you drafted him for the Blue Jays. His debut came with the Cardinals, and, and the background mm-hmm. there is you know he had had a broken wrist in 2016, a broken foot in 2017, and uh, the Blue Jays had decided to to trade him to the Cardinals for $500,000 of international bonus pool space. So, again, di- moving around positions, dealing with injuries, starting over a new organization. It was it was a bit of a rocky road at times. How much did you talk with Lane during these tough times, particularly during the injuries, and, and how much did you have to kind of let him know, you know, hey, you know, there are people still believing you? Because for a young kid far from home, sometimes that can take a, a pretty big mental toll.
0: Right. Oh, yes, definitely. And it's... Uh, and Lane, Lane came right out with uh, – because he signed, um, you know, right after the draft he signed and, and was down in the GCL, had uh, put up really good numbers in the GCL. Uh, we, it was called up, like you mentioned, to, to Bluefield in the Appalachian League and, and played well there. Like you said, uh, you know, moving, moving around and, uh, you know, playing center field, playing some third base. Uh, so that takes a, a mental toll on, on, a, on a young player uh, as well. But then, uh, you know, going into his first full season – Battling some injuries, um, you know, the first couple of years with us. And that's just, you know, just uh, text messages, phone calls during the off season, go uh, and, and be around lane and just, and just tell them like, Hey, man, I, our guys still really like you. I mean, being around our development guys, our guys still love you. Keep doing what you're doing. And it's just tough luck with, with the injuries. I mean, it's, uh, you know, little, little small injuries that, that can knock you out a couple weeks to a month um, can really, you know, mentally derail you. And, um, and then, you know, with with the trade uh, that happened and it's, um, you know, that, that's part of our business as well. And, uh, just texting Lane and saying, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm still, you know, believe in you and and I'm pulling for you. I'm in your corner, even though now you're with a different organization, um, and, uh, and, and, you know, best of luck and all that kind of stuff. And, and so Lane, you know, went out that first full year with St. Louis and had a great year. And, and I really believe that it's uh, you know being healthy for first you know for the first, first uh, full time, and um, and so him going off and, and showing his tools and, and having a, a healthy season where he played a, a full season that uh, that was huge benefit for Lane, and then uh, jumping that right into uh, this year with going to AAA and and then getting the call up um, that uh, I just you know felt like that the kid you know the, Lane knew Lane stayed positive through the whole situation. And, um, and then now, you know, jump starting into you know, why we made it such a high pick for him that uh, those tools are showing out.
1: Yeah, you mentioned that, that breakout year last year. He had had 18 home runs combined in, in four seasons. Then last year, fully healthy, really for the first time, he led the Cardinals system with 27 home runs. I uh, saw power, you saw speed. Seeing what he was doing in the Cardinals organization last year. Was there a little bit of a sense of there's the Lane Thomas I knew was in there?
0: Uh, yes, definitely, and, uh, and and especially the the uh, you know like you said before with uh, you know showing his ability to play center field and having that speed power combination that uh, that we really liked on Lane that uh, you know like I said that uh, him showing you know, having a, having a full healthy season those tools now translating into uh, the stats and. And 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 AA at a high level at double-A AA and AAA, and um, again it all goes into you know Lane's makeup, his competitiveness, his work ethic, uh, fighting through a lot of rough times, the up and downs of minor leagues to to be able to showcase that at, at a high level for the Cardinals, and and um, you know, I'm sure a, a clean slate with a new organization, um, maybe a little bit of a chip on the shoulder that that he can go out there and do that right away and build that confidence right up
1: absolutely when the call came you mentioned you watched his first game and you'd reached out to him for you though what is that feeling like knowing someone you signed that you know you you believed in has accomplished their dream of reaching the major leagues
0: yeah you know, and, and it really uh, for me it was uh, more into the, the makeup and the competitiveness and the, and the, and the, the work ethic of what I believed in Lane and and knowing that he had a plus makeup that that uh, you know, getting that call and, and realizing, like we, we had mentioned before, with uh, with Lane's you know roller coaster ride through it and, and, and fighting out on the other end where he gets the chance to get to the big leagues, and um, so just feeling very very proud of him, uh, proud of, of the work that we put in, and, uh, and and proud in Lane and knowing that 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 feeling that he had uh, with getting that phone call or getting that conversation with his manager in Triple A. Uh, I just felt pr- very proud of him, and um, you know it would have been great if he got called up with the Blue Jays. But uh, still, I feel very good with uh, for Lane and, and his family, and uh, just how proud I am of, of his work ethic and his drive uh, to get there.
1: Absolutely, it's been a, an impressive rise for Lane Thomas over the last year plus, and quite the debut in the major leagues as well, and we look forward to seeing what he has uh, in store for the rest of his career. Nate, congratulations, and thank you so much for joining us, and uh, best of luck out on the scouting trail.
0: Kyle, thank you very much for, uh, for the time and the ability to, to talk to uh, about Lane.
1: Absolutely, Nate. Our pleasure. Well, once again, that was Nate Murray, the Blue Jays area scout for Kentucky and Tennessee since 2010. Always a great story to hear, uh, just from the scouts' perspective, about what these kids were like before they became major leaguers, and what those skills and traits were they saw back when these kids were uh, high schoolers or or college players, and how that process unfolded as they made their way to the major leagues and achieved their dream. That'll do it for today's edition of the Baseball America podcast. Once again, thank you to Josh Norris and Nate Murray for joining us. Go ahead and let us know uh, on iTunes or Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on, Uh, any feedback, anything else you'd like to hear. uh, We're always here for you, our subscribers, and open to any and all suggestions, and uh, we'd love to see your reviews as well. For Nate and Josh, I'm Kyle Glazer. This has been another edition of the Baseball America podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great day, everybody.